All right, we're thankful to have Brother Cooper with us tonight. This is his third year being with us, third year in a row, and we're thankful for him, and we know he'll, he'll be an encouragement. We're also grateful he's going to stay over for tomorrow night. But Brother Cooper, why don't you come, and he's going to preach for us. I know we're going to be blessed. Let's give him a warm Pacific Baptist welcome. Thank you for that. Take your Bible, turn with me tonight, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter number three. And I'm honored to be with you this evening and looking forward to what the Lord's going to do. I've enjoyed the service already, and it started off good because as soon as I walked in, I got a cup of coffee. And you can't beat that. So I don't know if I'm spiritual, but I'm hyper. And so, you know, it's about the same thing. And I'm well caffeinated. I got off the plane and got a cup of coffee. And I got to the hotel room, got a cup of coffee. I came in your church building, and they gave me a cup of coffee. So anyway, I feel real good right now. And, uh, and then somebody on the street corner gave me something else. I don't know what that was, but I mean, I'm having a good time. But uh, I'm excited to be with you today. And then tomorrow, I'm looking forward to that. I brought my uh, Colin Kaepernick jersey, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Anyway, uh, I'll just dress like a preacher, and you heathens can wear your football jerseys. But anyway, well, I'm looking forward to being a part of the men's meeting tomorrow and uh, in the morning at chapel with the, the young people as well. But I'm honored to be with you, and it's always exciting to me. This is the third year that I've been here on this date or around this time, and to see the building and the progress made, it's exciting. I'm glad in these days that not everybody's going the wrong direction, and not everybody's just thrown in the towel and quit on God, but I'm glad God is still doing great and mighty things in our generation. Sometimes we act like we have to read about it, hear about it, talk about it in the past tense. But I'm glad God is not just the God yesterday, but the Bible said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And thank God for that truth. Revelation chapter number three, if you will, look at it with me. We'll begin in verse number one. I preached a series in our church from January until just a month or so ago out of Revelation, the seven churches of Revelation. And uh, I want to speak to you a little bit tonight on, on something God's laid on my heart for this evening. Verse number one of chapter number three. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I'll come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Now, I'm not going to preach on that, but it's a rejoicing truth when we, the Lord is coming for us. That's a blessing. But that should startle us a little bit if he would say, I'm going to come on you. That's a whole different ballgame. I'm excited about the fact that he's coming for us, but I don't want to get to the, in the position where the Lord said, I'm going to have to come upon you. Look with me here further down. Let's read verse number four. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I'll not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I want you to see what the Bible says here in verse number one at the end of the verse. Really, it's an indictment that the Lord makes against this church. He says that thou hast a name that thou livest, but watch this, and art dead. The reality was not the same as the reputation. The reputation was good, but the reality was grim. 
Most of these seven letters serve as an x-ray that show us the condition of these bodies. But this is more like an autopsy report. And the Lord doesn't really veneer it whatsoever. He just said, you look good, you sound good, and people think everything's all right. But the reality is, you're dead. I thought about that. In Acts chapter number 2, there's 120 Christians that get filled with the Spirit of God, and 120 Christians turn the world upside down. Now in America, in the average city, we have 120 churches, and that city doesn't even know the churches exist. They look good, have high steeples, impressive buildings, and maybe a pastor with more degrees than a thermometer. But they're dead. For a little while this evening, I want to preach on this thought. What you don't have is going to kill you. What you don't have is going to kill you. Let's pray. God, I pray for your help to preach tonight. Please challenge our hearts. I pray you stir my heart about this truth. And I pray you'd use it here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. It is a dangerous thing when a church becomes a thermometer and ceases to be a thermostat. A thermometer advertises the temperature of the moment. It doesn't affect the temperature. It just reflects the temperature. We could say it like this. A a thermometer is a slave to current conditions. It is not an agent of change. It just advertises change. A thermometer is far different than a thermostat. A thermometer reflects the temperature, but the thermostat sets the temperature. If it's too hot, then we blame the thermostat. If it's too cold, then we blame the thermostat. And it's always one or the other or both for the ladies, and we know that's right, so say amen right there. Uh, the therm- Thank you, the one man who's going home by himself. The thermostat conditions the climate, while the thermometer is conditioned by the climate. God has stated, I believe, in the Bible that the church is not supposed to reflect the spiritual temperature of the world, but rather the church ought to set the spiritual temperature of the world. Our gospel is too dynamic. The Bible is too powerful. The Holy Spirit is too active, and our commission is too clear for us to simply go with the flow and fit into the mold and conform to this world and allow the world to conform us. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15, here's what the Bible said, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. If you read about it in Thessalonica, the testimony of Paul when he came to town was that of a thermostat, not a thermometer. When Paul came into the city of Thessalonica, they knew Paul had come to town. They didn't have to search hard to find him. It was evident that a man of God had come into that city. And the testimony of Paul was this. Those who have turned the world upside down, now they've come hither also. It wasn't neutral. It wasn't like a non-existent effect. It was obvious he changed the temperature of that city when Paul entered Thessalonica. It is dangerous when God's eternal institution has been has succumbed to falling in, if you will, to the pace set by the world. The church ought to be setting the dive, not simply falling in line with what's going on around it. I want our church to be setting the temperature. I don't want to succumb to the culture. I don't want to give in to the trend. I don't want to bend to the whims of the world around us. But I want us to be setting the pace in our city. A society that is succeeding exceedingly sinful and our society that is so atheistic today is not an indictment against the devil. It's an indictment against the decline of the church. 
You ever heard it said before, what you have is going to kill you? I hope not. Have you ever heard anybody say that? That's going to kill you? I want to preach tonight a little bit on this thought. What you don't have is going to kill you. Sardis was a city about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. It was an elevated city and a wealthy city, a very beautiful place. The people of Sardis were proud and confident in the protection provided by their city. There was a river that ran through the city of Sardis, and it was filled with gold. As the sun would beat down upon the waters, the gold would glisten beneath the water of the river. Sardis was home to a very large wool industry. They also specialized in creating a red dye. And because of that, the wool industry of Sardis was known around the world. I was studying, and the commentary said that the first coins ever minted were minted in the city of Sardis. Some historians credit Sardis with being the creator of printed currency. So this is a very affluent city. It's a very well-known city. It's a very industrious city. And in this city is where God planted this church that he writes this letter to. Now, as we come to the letter to the church in Sardis, Christ is addressing a congregation that had become so spiritually dead that no longer were they setting the temperature. Now they simply reflected the temperature of their city. They had compromised with the world to the point that they were comfortable in the world and conditioned by the world. I think that if you were to go to Sardis and ask them about the church in their town, probably nobody would have anything negative to say about the church planted there in Sardis. I believe politicians would say this is a great church and they'd attend it gladly. Crooked men with big bank accounts were quick to give their money and get their tax write-off in the church. City leaders would have the pastors come and cut the ribbon on every new building that was opened in their city. Sardis was socially acceptable. It was a nice church. It was a pleasant church. I'd say their pastor was funny. Maybe the music was very professional. Everywhere you looked around the property, it was very elaborate and palatial. Sardis would be a church that would marshal community parades. Other Christians in Asia Minor were being martyred for their faith. But these Christians were being celebrated because they fit in so well with their city. I'd say if you looked at their bulletin, here's what it'd say at Sardis Baptist Church. On Monday night was bingo. The Rotary Club would meet there on Tuesday. They'd have social activities for the children on Wednesday. They'd have Zumba for all the desperate housewives on Thursday. They'd have open mic nights on Fridays for those who couldn't make it on Sunday morning. They had arts and crafts on Saturday and then a 30-minute convocation on Sunday. You'd see Sunday dresses walking into the building with white gloves and flower-adorned hats. Businessmen with pinstripe suits would lead their families into the services, and every child had on their Sunday best. Their part would be just right, the curls tied on their head. If you were to watch a service at this church, it looked like a catalog picture of a perfect popular church. I mean, this church could be the cover of a 400-pound family Bible. The pastor looked perfect. The people looked perfect. The place looked perfect. And the whole scene was just perfect. 
The church bell would ring and the steeple would seem to rise above every building in town. The pews were filled with people. Sunlight would glisten through the stained glass windows. The pipe organ would sound out its heavenly melodies. The pastor had approached the pulpit in his long scissor-tailed coat. Everything about him just looked right. He'd walk up to the lectern, no wrinkles in his outfit, every hair perfectly in place. He'd preach a message. It'd be brief, well illustrated. It'd be funny and uplifting. Everything he said, people would respond with, Amen, Pastor. Bless his heart. That's good preaching right there. The entire crowd that would attend that service, from tavern keeper to rodeo clown, would leave the day feeling pretty good about themselves and ready to repeat the entire process next Sunday morning. This church had it all. I mean, if you were to look at this church from the world's perspective, you see, that church got it going on. That's the most popular church in town. That's the most affluent church in town. That might be the biggest church in town. That church has it all. They don't upset the status quo. They don't do anything to ruffle feathers. Everything about this church is what the world would want in a church. You ask the man on the street, he say they got it all. They have all the programs. They have all the prestige. They have the best facilities. They have the most respectable membership. They have all the popularity. There's no controversy within the church. There's no conflict from without the church. They have it all. But the Lord had a very different opinion of that church than the world around it. The word Sardis means remnant or escape. And if we study out these seven church letters as different times in church history, then they say that this time period represents the period of the Reformation. And some good Christians came out of the Reformation. There were some believers during that time period that took their stand and some churches were birthed that at that time believed the Bible. And I believe they saw revival and helped bring forth awakenings. But if you were to study those churches that were birthed in that period today, all those churches have compromised. They have a lot of money. They have beautiful buildings. They have prestige. They have well-educated clergymen. But all of those churches are deader than a funeral service if you walk inside of them today. Well, that is the condition of this church in Sardis. In verse number one, Christ pulls back the curtain on the reality of this church and he says, your testimony with me is far different than your testimony in your city. In verse number one, see what it says? And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works that thou hast to name that thou livest and art dead. So here it is. This church, I believe, once had it all. I think they did. I'd say they used to have revival. They probably used to have the hand of God upon them. It's a church that had a past that was riddled with blessings and God had done big and marvelous things. But this church that had created such a wave of the goodness of God had allowed that wave to die down and crash on the shore. And now God, the fire of God, the blessings of God, that life from within was far removed from the life of this church. They are far different than the Lord that they say they love. The Lord is he which was dead and now liveth. This church is that which was alive and is now dead. Everything about Sardis is used to, once dead. It's all moth-eaten testimonies, yellowed memories of what God had done. Here it is. This church is a lazy church. It's a complacent church. It's a comfortable church. 
It's a relaxed church. They're, they're materialistic, but not supernatural. They have a rigid system, but they're not very spiritual. They, 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 they don't preach heresy, but they don't really preach against sin. They're not canceling services, but they're not standing for truth. They're not worshiping like the world necessarily, but they're also not worshiping in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Everyone would say, that church is alive. It's got it going on. It's a great church. What a place. No church like that church. But Jesus, the great physician, puts his finger on the pulse of that local assembly and said, here's the reality. That church is dead. There is no spiritual pulse. There is no spiritual heartbeat. There is no spiritual breath there is no spiritual strength it is all package and no content here's the lesson none of those things that register high with society necessarily register high with our savior jesus does not care about how high the steeple is Jesus does not care about how loud the bell chimes. Jesus is not interested in the net worth of the congregation or the value of the property. He sees beyond the shell to the substance. And behind the great reputation of this church is the grim reality. They're alive but in name only. Can I say I'm afraid that that is the state of the average place that calls itself the church of God today. A place that ought to have life and and that more abundantly, it is nothing more than a corpse with a steeple on top of it. It is spiritually dead. They have program after program after program after program, but there's no spiritual heartbeat in that place. Can I say in these last days, we don't need another mausoleum for our Savior on the side of the road. We don't need another monument for a God who's inactive in our city, but a place that has the touch of God upon it, the fire of God burning, and life from above beating within it. Here's what the word dead means. I'm going to help you out. You know what it means? No longer living. Aren't you glad you came? Amen. That's, what it, that's exactly what it means. I was preaching one time in, this, in the country of Alabama. And, uh, and anyway, I, I preached there and they did a men's meeting too. And they paired their men's meeting with a deer hunt because you're allowed to own guns and shoot things there. Uh, and anyway, so we did that. And I was there with this pastor, and, and we went out to deer hunt, and uh, and he shot a deer. And uh, he, he hadn't deer hunted much, and I said, now listen, don't just run up to that thing. you got to check it and make sure it's dead. You, have, you know what, I, you have to check it. I went deer hunting in eighth grade with a friend of mine. He shot a deer, a big buck, and he took his 270 and put it in the antlers to take a picture. And as soon as we got ready to take that picture, the deer resurrected and took off running, and we never got the rifle back. So you got to make sure it's dead. You don't want to end up on a vine or something. You know what I mean? You want to make sure it's dead. So anyway, I said, we got to check this thing. He shot it, and I, I said, let's just go check it. Now, you know how to check a dead deer, don't you? Who said that? That's it. He's right. That's the first thing you do. You take your, your, your rifle of your gun, you poke it in the eye. I'm tempted to bring something to poke people in the eye with when I preach. Just want to make sure. Just want to make sure you're not dead. I have my doubts. But yeah, you, that's the first thing you do. You poke it in the eye, and if it blinks, then it's probably not dead. I mean, more than likely. So we did that. We poked it in the eye. The thing didn't blink. I said, I think it's dead. He said, well, just make sure. So I kicked it. I said, it's dead. He said, kick it again. I said, all right, let's kick it again. We're Baptist preachers. We need to vent. You know, I said, I'll kick it again. So we just kicked that thing. I mean, you talk about tenderized meat. It was ready to eat right there. After I kicked it about 400 times, he said, Preacher, you know what I think? I said, what? He goes, that is show enough, stone cold, turkey bone, graveyard, dead, dead, dead. 
I said, what in the world does that mean? Because that means it's pretty dead. Well, that's this church. There's no life. Now, it used to have life, but it didn't have life anymore. The average ministry in our day is nothing more than a spiritual mortuary. I know it's true because I, I travel enough to see it. Steeples simply advertise an orthodox funeral parlor that spends all of its time trying to beautify and decorate the dead things it hides within. And the indictment against this church is not that it's wicked, not that it's sensual, not that it's worldly even, but that it has no spiritual life. There's no mention of heresy or apostasy or a false teacher in this letter. The fact is they have just gotten comfortable and casual in this world. Listen to what I'm about to say. Activity does not equal a holy heartbeat. Having the right doctrine does not mean that God is blessing. Having good conduct does not mean God's touch is there. A large attendance does does not equal a spiritual pause. Christ is far more interested in fervent prayer and soul winning and faithfulness and tears than an altar that is used and a pulpit that preaches the word of God and Christians that study their Bible and love one another. He doesn't care if you meet in a catacomb or a cathedral, a brush arbor or a great hall, a humble building or a large auditorium. I tell you what we need is life from above. Let me give you a few things that this church didn't have and I'll be through. Number one, this church did not have the Holy Spirit. Look with me at your Bible. I want you to see what it said in the first verse. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that, watch what he says, that hath the seven spirits of God. If you study out the letters to the churches in Revelation, Christ introduces himself to each church in a different way. And in each introduction, it sort of expresses who he is to that church. To this church in Sardis, this church that is looks alive but they're dead, he said, I am the one who has the seven spirits of God. Now, he's not saying there are seven distinct different Holy Spirits. What he's saying is, I have the sevenfold spirit of God, the manifold spirit of God. What he's saying is, I have the fullness, the totality, the entire package of the Holy Spirit of God. I think what he's saying to this church is, I have something that you don't have, but you desperately need. As you're acquiring all of these other things that you think make you look alive, you are missing the one thing that you need the most that actually provides spiritual life. And it can't be purchased on the shelf, and it can't be drawn up in a blueprint, and you can't get it sitting in a classroom. He said, I'll tell you what you need. If you want life in that place, you need to have the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. If there's no spirit, then there is no life. You know what I found out? I can preach as loud and as long as I can, but if God is not in that thing, it is vanity of vanity. We can sing the best songs and have the best instruments and meet in the greatest facility, but all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One come down. In the valley, Ezekiel stood and he sees bones scattered all about the valley. They're departed and divided and those dead bones there. He can't make them live. And the Lord said, can, can these live? He said, I don't know, God, but you can do it. He said, here's what you do. He said, I want you to preach to the bones. So he prophesied to the bones and they came together, but they're still dead. He said, one more, prophesied to the wind, a picture of the Holy Spirit. And when Ezekiel preached, the wind began to blow. And when the wind began to blow, the bones rose up alive again. That is what we need in this day and hour. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Spirit of God. You say, what converts a sinner? It's the power of the Spirit of God. What restores a prodigal? It's the power of the Spirit of God. What births revival? It is the power of the Spirit of God. When's the last time you were hungry for God? I mean, you desired His touch and longed for His presence and wanted to be filled. That's what we're missing. We try entertainment to cloak our lack of endowment. And because of that, now uh, pastors have to be perpetual pep rally leaders. And we have to have a bouncing ball and a big band and a show because we don't have what we need. What do we need? The Holy Spirit of God. This church didn't have the Holy Spirit. Number two, this church did not have God called leadership. Look at verse number one again. He said he has the seven spirits of God, but watch this, and the seven stars. The seven stars that tells us earlier in the book of Revelation represent the pastors of these local churches. Now in Revelation chapter number one, the Bible talks about how he had these stars in his hand. Here it just says he has the stars, but it doesn't mention them in his hand. I think there's something to that. I think he's expressing to this church, he said, listen, the leadership that you have I might have ownership, but I don't have oversight of that leadership. You got to thank God every day that you have a God-called man of God that fills your pulpit. Let me help you with something if you're a young preacher. The ministry is not an industry. It is not an occupation. Amen. It is not something, well, if I can't go do something else, I reckon I'll get in that. I, beyond a shadow of a doubt, know that God has called me to be a preacher. And I believe God has called me to be in the ministry. But I believe all across our country tonight, there are people who are just looking for a paycheck, a parsonage, a picket fence, and retirement. And that's why they compromise and give away to every wind of doctrine and don't stand for anything. But thank God for a church that has God called leadership. God in Genesis 2 created a man and he put that man in the specific place. And I thank God for the day God reached down. I don't know why. I don't know why God would call me to preach. I remember sitting in that service. I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I remember sitting in that service, just been saved about a year, and the preacher preaching about Elijah and Elisha and how somebody needed to pick up the mantle and carry it forward uh, for the next generation. And God, I can't explain it to you, but it's true. It's like he reached out with his hand and grabbed hold of my heart and drug me to an altar. And the best way I knew how I surrendered my life to serve God. My mother did not call me into the ministry. It was not a Bible college that called me in the ministry. I didn't get in the ministry because I wasn't smart enough to pump gas for somebody on the street corner. I got in this thing because woe is me if I preach not the gospel. I've been constrained. I've been compelled. I've been called. I'm a bond servant. There's nothing else I want to do. There's nothing else I'd rather do. I'm doing what I love to do right now. And you ought to thank God for that, that you don't come here a pulpit, a pulpit filled by a puppet pulled by strings or someone who's been called by a paycheck in cash on the weekend. Thank God for the anointing of God and the hand of God on a man of God's life. Thank God for a shepherd. This church didn't have it. Number three, this church didn't have the blessing of being unaccepted. Look at verse number, verse number one again. Look what it says. I know thy works, the end of the verse, thou hast a name that thou livest. That's the problem right there. Everybody liked them. Now I want everybody to like me. And honestly, I don't understand how people could not. I'm just kidding. If you talk to my mother, I'm the, I'm the greatest thing. If you talk to my wife, 
you'll understand why people don't like me. But anyway, you talk to my mom. The problem with this church is everybody liked them. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to a church that everybody likes. Now, I want everybody to feel welcome for a minute. But I don't want them to all be fans, if you know what I mean. If the Dodgers can be a fan of our church, or you can be a fan of the Dodgers now. Anyway, I like the one player who came out and put his letter out there on Instagram about his beliefs and things. But if, if that crowd... If that crowd can come here and say, that's the best church I've ever been to, I love that place. Everything he preaches, I agree with. Well, then they probably ought to switch. But anyway, if they, if they, there's a problem there if they like everything that goes on. There's a problem there. That means you're not preaching on something. We have this, I was telling the guys in the truck, Brother Moyer at our church created this app for our church and put it on the Apple store. And he's asked people to go review it. And so he's had people review it. And we took screenshots to prove that they reviewed it on the Apple app store. Because the more reviews you get, the more traffic you get. And I don't know how it works, but maybe you do. And anyway, so we're trying to get that traffic up. And then you go back and check it, and there's no reviews on it. But we know there were reviews on it because there were 100 reviews on it. And then there's zero reviews on it. And so then we did it again, and I, I did it again, took a screenshot of it where it said it was submitted and all that, and it showed the review, and went back later, and it's no reviews on it. And what is happening? What, what's going on here? I know what's going on here. Apple is taking it down because they don't want people going to that content because it's Christian content. You see, does that make you mad? Yeah, it does. But I'm also happy that they don't like us. That's the problem. I'd rather be loved than liked. I remember hearing a preacher say there's a big difference in being liked and being loved. He said most people compromise because they want people to like them. He said, but you stand for something, people are going to learn to love you because you stood for something. Now, I think we ought to have a good name in our town. I want to have a good testimony. I want to have a, a clean and pure reputation. But I don't want, I don't want the drug dealer to be like, that's my favorite church. Because I'm trying to put him out of business. I don't want the Planned Parenthood place to say, boy, I love that place. Because I'm trying to put them out of business. A graveyard, you say, well, I don't know, I just want peace. Yeah, a graveyard is the most peaceful place in town. Amen. Number four, this church didn't have, let's continue. I've just got a couple more. This church didn't have genuine good works. Look at verse number two. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. He said, you're working, but it's not real. In the Christian life, thank God for new converts that want to give it all they've got but out of zeal and just, uh, you know, ignorant joy. They're saying, man, they're just ready to go. I love new converts. If you could pastor a church full of new converts, you'd be a happy pastor. You deal with a lot of problems, but they're better problems than the old convert problems. And anyway, a new convert wants to go to everything. I don't care. When I first got saved, I wanted to go to everything. I wanted to go to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school. I wanted to go to Wednesday night. I wanted to go to women's Bible study, man. I didn't care what it was. I wanted to be at everything. I wanted to go soul winning. I was bugging people about going soul winning. And just getting after it. But you ought to grow in the Christian life where you're not just doing things for God because you're zealous and excited. You ought to get to that place out of charity and love for the Lord where your service is motivated from that heart of love for God, right? And so this church might have looked busy. They might have had a full list of programs. But the root, what was motivating them, wasn't right. Can I say a church could be dead and be the most active church in town if the activity is not rooted in the right kind of agenda? And if it's not coming from the right place. All right, let me give you another one. This church didn't have a gracious memory. Look at verse number three. 
Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. He says, remember, remember. Some of the greatest churches to preach in are churches that remember where they came from. That's what I like when we drove up the road here. You can see the old building still there. It's good to remember where you came from. It's good to look back on what God has done. If you study the book of Psalms, most of the Psalms are written off of memory on what God has done. How God has delivered and God has blessed and God has made a way. And those people, as they look back and sing about God's past blessings, would rejoice in the Lord in the present. Oh, listen, we'll die in a hurry if we don't, if we don't put some sort of a credence on our heritage, value on what God has done. Places like this, places like our church, a lot of us have come there recently. We didn't have to, now you're getting to invest in it. We didn't have to invest a lot. We didn't have to sweat and bleed for those things. And if we're not careful, we'll take for granted what God did. All right, let me give you one more. This church didn't have an esteem. Lastly, this church did not have an esteem for the word of God. Look at verse number three. Remember therefore, and here's the phrase, how thou hast received and heard. What's he talking about? He said, I want you to remember how happy you were that day you heard the gospel. When the Bible, when the word of God came into your life, he said, remember that? When you received the word of God, you heard the word of God. What's happened? I'll tell you when a church is in trouble, when they take this Bible and they bring it down, and it's not the main thing. Christians have been having church long before they ever had buildings, and I thank God for that. As long as they could gather around a Bible. We can't afford, listen, to lose any kind of faith in this book right here. This is the word of God. This is our final authority. There is no book like this book. It is perfect. It is pure. It is powerful. It is preserved. The promises are still rich and full and for us today. And there's nothing like it. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. God has exalted his word above his own name. We can come to church. Listen, if we come to church and don't have any singing, that's okay. And we don't have to have all the children's things, and that's okay. But we've got to have the Bible. We've got to have the word of God. And I'm glad we still have it in our day. I don't have to question. I don't have to wonder about it. I don't have to worry about it. I'm I'm glad I don't have to look through plated glass and see just a page of a manuscript somewhere. I'm glad I can hold a copy of the Word of God in my hand and I can trust this book with all my heart. My faith can rest here and thank God for the Bible. But listen, I tell you when a church is in trouble, when they take this Bible and they begin to critique it, question it, cut it to pieces, say, well, you know, it probably should have said, you're in trouble. Because if we don't have, listen, if we don't have a perfect book, then we don't have a reason to meet. Isn't that right? If we don't have a Bible, then we might as well go to the house. I need more than my opinion and yours. I need more than philosophy. I need more than a book review. I need more than current events. Man can't live by anything other than the Word of God. We've got to have it. We've got to have the Bible. You're in a dangerous place when the Word of God is not enough. I wonder about that. I wonder what, how many people we'd have coming if we said, now listen, next week we're not doing anything but reading the Bible. Nothing, nothing else. Just going to preach the Bible. Just read the Bible. I wonder if that'd be enough to draw the average Christian to church. It's a dangerous place when the word of God is not enough. And we have to have everything else to make church attractive. Now listen, this is a, a message I preached at our church. 
That's a scary passage of scripture. To think that we can have it all looking right, but it's not necessarily right. And it looks alive, but it's not. I've seen that happen before at funeral services when people walk by the, pers- the body of the person laying there in that casket and say, they look so natural. Have you ever heard that before? I mean, what are you supposed to say? They don't look alive anymore. You're not supposed to say that. You say, boy, they, they look, I've never seen them look better. Yeah, but they're still dead. And there's a lot of churches, even in this area and other areas all around our country, you could walk by and drive by and say, boy, it looks good. But it's dead. And I'm glad it's not here, but it could be. And I'm glad it's not where we are, but it sure could be. And God help us not to let that happen. Let's bow our heads together. I pray God spoke to your heart tonight as a church. More of a, more of a message of a, of, a, of a warning. Thank God for what he's doing. But let's not take it for granted. Maybe you're here tonight and you have a prayer need on your heart. We're going to pray in just a moment. But maybe God spoke to your heart during the message or you have something you want to pray about. We can have a time of invitation here. And I'm going to pray. If God spoke to your heart, why don't we get around the altar as a church family. Maybe spend some time praying tonight. Uh, maybe God's been dealing with you about a, uh, some things in your life that you have need of. I'll pray. You come. Lord, I pray that you bless this invitation time and these people. Thank you for the privilege that I've had to preach to them tonight. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Thank you for churches like this one, God, that are still holding the banner high and the light still shines. I pray you'd put a hedge about this place and protect it and bless it. Use it greatly in the days ahead. Thank you for what you've done, but I pray you'd allow them to see even greater things. I pray for our church the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You take your time and pray. We have time to pray tonight. If God spoke to your heart, or if you have a need on your heart tonight to pray, why don't you spend some time in prayer? We're blessed to have a church to go to. We get messages quite often from people that say, I don't have a church I can go to, so I watch online. That, it's not the same. And I think they ought to go find a church, but what a sad, what a sad situation if it be true. They don't have anywhere they can drive to to church. In America, they don't have a place they can drive to. Don't take it for granted. Thank God for church. The power of God will make the difference. Great churches really aren't built by great preachers or even great Christians. Just normal people that God used. People who got filled with the Spirit of God and had enough faith to trust Him. God, God can do miraculous things, great things through people like you and I. If we'll just let Him have His way. You just take your time, pray to your through.